Welcome to the Reform Journal Podcast, the Poetry Edition, where we engage with the world of contemporary poetry from a generously reformed perspective. Find us at reformjournal.com. This is the Poetry Edition of the Reform Journal Podcast. We come to you regularly to listen to a poet read a poem and talk about where the poem came from. I'm Rose Postma, and today our guest is Paul Willis. Paul is a retired professor of English, and his most recent poetry collection is Somewhere to Follow from Slant Books. Today we're talking with Paul about his poem, Red Flowering Current. Welcome, Paul. It's good to be here, Rose. Thank you. Okay, why don't you just kick us off and read the poem for us? Okay. Red Flowering Current. Ribes Sanguinium, Ross Lake National Recreation Area. Back in 1825, David Douglas packed your kin on a ship to London, where sales of their seeds alone repaid the cost of his expedition. That was a long trip for them, through the sandbars at the riptide mouth of the Columbia, then past Patagonia around the horn, but here you bloom beside this trail on a rocky shelf above the lake, still missing your ride to some strange garden across the sea. Thank you. I'll be honest, the first thing that drew me to this poem was the fact that it's about current. Um, And my current bush is probably very different, Um, but I moved into a house that has a current bush. And so it immediately you know, grabbed my attention. But tell me about this particular plant. Well, you know, the currents related to the gooseberries, uh, pretty common in the mountains of the West. Uh, I don't know where else it grows. Obviously in your yard, in in Iowa, right? Yes, yep, yep. (laughs) And uh, I I am from the Northwest and uh, taught most of my life at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. But on my uh, recent sabbatical, I got to be an artist in residence in North Cascades National Park in Washington State. And uh, the Ross Lake National Recreation Area is uh, adjacent to the park. And I've always been interested in uh, the Scottish botanist David mm-hmm. Douglas, who was the kind of the pioneering explorer botanist in the Pacific Northwest in the 1820s, actually. And he he was uh, very assiduous about, you know, packing up plants and seeds and sending them all the way back to England. And the red flowering current was one that became very popular in England and and grew well. So, you know, here I am uh, looking at the red flowering current on the shores of this lake and thinking how it made this strange trip, but uh, these particular currents are, are still where they're supposed to be, I guess. Yeah, well, maybe it is similar to what I have in my yard. I know we picked them and I I cooked with them and I baked with them and made jelly. So I think I maybe wasn't so far off. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how you put a poem together. This poem, I think our, our listeners should definitely go and look at because it's really beautiful on the page. Um how do you kind of determine your lines and how you kind of structure them? 
because I I really stick closely to my left justified because I'm nervous. And yet you have done something really beautiful with the way these lines in each stanza appear. Yeah, well, this is a three stanza poem with what I would call stair-stepping stanzas. You know, Mary Oliver does this mm-hmm. series of uh, kind of indentings, and I, maybe that's where I got the idea. It it, it, it helps a, a poem unfold, I guess, in some ways. So, you know, any poem will sort of organically take shape. I have to confess, this one, I struggled with for about eight years. I was drafted it eight years ago. And uh, I published a whole volume of poems out of the North Cascades residency. Uh, It's called Dear at Twilight Poems from the North Cascades. But I didn't put this one in because it wasn't finished. So some some poems take a little longer. So I, I I don't know if I'm being all that informative, but uh, finally finally the poem took shape in a way that felt satisfying and complete. That's all I can say. Yeah. So what is it you look for to know that a poem is done? Is it that sense that it is satisfying and complete, or is there something else in addition to it that you kind of use to guide you that it's done? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, does does it land? Um, is it trying too hard? Is it concise enough? Does it feel complete? Um, is it too obscure in places? Uh, is it trying to be too cute in other yeah. places? I mean, these are the kind of questions that you ask. I, you know, ultimately, it's very easy to write a poem that becomes a sort of oh, family photo of one's own experience. That that's. That's precious to me because it reminds me of an experience, you know, with my grandkids or my wife or something like that. Yeah. And and this is, this is something that uh, wonderful Nebraska poet Ted Kuzer uh, will oh, Yes, yeah. The poems for the reader it needs to be reasonably accessible for the reader, and if all it's doing is celebrating for myself some treasured moment. Um, you know, it's it's like inflicting home movies on someone, and so I want to want to make sure that the poem can be a gift for the reader and not just a gift to myself. Yeah, that's really really helpful. I was talking with some undergrad poets recently and talking about yeah that what are we trying to do in a poem when it when. What is our presence in the poem and when is that too much and not mm. distancing ourselves too much? So that I think that's a really helpful way that you talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one is David Douglas himself really fascinates me. I grew up thinking about him. So many things in Oregon, or there's the Douglas fir and the Douglas squirrel mm. and lots of place names, Douglas. And uh, he was, uh, you know, from uh, central Scotland and not not a son of a stonemason and a dissenting family. Mm. Uh, he took his Bible with him everywhere. Uh, when he spent some time in California, he would stay at the missions because that was the place to stay. But his mm-hmm. family and friends were very critical of him for accepting Catholic hospitality. And he was very conflicted about it. Right. <laughs> and uh, well, it's, it's interesting to to follow him 
And uh, I, I guess the larger context is, uh, you know, part of having an estate as England would, would be having plants from around yeah. the world. And it was a, it's a form of sort of uh, imperialism. Sure. It's native imperialism. And, and, and they especially sent the Scots around the world to be these plant collectors. And, uh, and he was one. It's, it's, it's a strange business, really. Yeah. yeah, no, I. this is so great because what I love is here we have this three stanza poem and, you know, 12 lines. And yet there's so much here that we just keep finding more and more layers that are in the poem. And I, I, I love hearing that and getting to think more deeply about um, a poem that I was initially attracted to because I have a similar plant in my yard. <laughs> And here we are, we're, we're at imperialism. Um, so I think that is just such a great testament to the power that poetry has. Mm. I'm wondering if you will read it for us a second time and we can hear it again. Certainly. Red flowering current, Ribes sanguinium, Ross Lake National Recreation Area. Back in 1825, David Douglas packed your kin on a ship to London, where sales of their seeds alone repaid the cost of his expedition. That was a long trip for them, through the sandbars at the riptide mouth of the Columbia, then past Patagonia, around the Horn. But here you bloom, beside this trail on a rocky shelf above the lake, still missing your ride to some strange garden across the sea. Thank you so much for reading and talking today. Thank you, Rose. You can read Red Flowering Current at reformjournal.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the Reform Journal podcast, the poetry edition. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and until the next time, explore all the great poetry on the Reform Journal website.